Hi, this is Anita Pointer of the Pointer Sisters, and you're listening to Neil Jones Inside Your Head. Well, welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Aaron Schneider, director of Greyhound, which is now on Apple TV+. It's very cool to have you here. Glad to be here. So first of all, how did you get involved in Greyhound? Well, Greyhound came across my desk from my agent, and I saw Tom Hanks' name as screenwriter, and then the email I got said it was World War II, and I said, okay, I'm in. And I read the screenplay, sent a, an effusive email to my agent about how much I dug it. And as luck or fate would have it, it made its way up the food chain to Tom's agent. And as the story goes, uh, his agent read the email over the phone to Tom, said, hey, this guy really liked your screenplay. And Tom said, all right, why don't we sit down and have a chat? And so I went over to Tom's company in Santa Monica and had a lovely chat for about two or three hours. And um, at the end of it, we, uh, he said, Hey, why don't we, you know, why don't we give this thing a try? It was all sort of quick and organic and, and the fates aligned. Was he already uh, at that time going to play the lead? Was he going to play the lead all along? Yeah, he, this is a project he had been nurturing in the background for himself uh, kind of a passion project. And um, he pulled it out every now and then to explore whether it was the right time and whether there was the means to get it done. And it never apparently felt like it was the right time or the right place. And um, and then he just decided one day, I'm going to do this and I'm going to find somebody to do it with. Uh, did, had you read the book beforehand, the book that's based on The Good Shepherd? I had not. Of course, I read the script first because I was so curious. I wanted to to know what he'd created. But uh, and then uh, I did read the the novel before I went in to see him, so that we could talk about that. You said it was a passion project for uh, Tom. Did he go into like you know why this particular story was so important to him? Uh, well, there's a couple stories, both true. I think the first is that he he was attracted to the book originally by the cover. There was this beautiful, if you Google the book, there's a illustrated cover out there uh, with a captain sort of windblown on the bridge of a destroyer with, you know, with, with um, d- disaster all around him, sinking ships uh, and great hair. And um, the image, I think, itself was kind of compelling to him just as a kind of a one sheet, just, a, just you know, an impression. And... Um, and then I think um, I think um, there was a uh, he had a writer director friend who pointed the book out to him originally, um, who said this feels like you. Um, I forget the name of the writer director, but there's someone I think apparently found it and said this feels like you. Uh, when you go when you take a project that is based on a uh, source material book, 
Do you think it's important to read the the source material too, or just go by the screen? Oh yeah, sure. Because um, for a couple reasons, at least. The first is that uh, if you're going to have, you know, the, one of the first jobs when you come on to a project like this as a director is to start the dialogue uh, of making sure that the writer is getting everything they want to do on on the screen. Uh, uh, you know, as an old director I used to work for once said, you can't you can't thread a script into a projector. You know, there's an idea on the page and it's got to make it to the screen and and sometimes those ideas need uh, developing um, and so if Tom were to say here's what inspired me in the book and here's what I'm trying to do with it right I've got to understand what the book was doing before I can help with that uh, and then secondly there's uh, you know a screenplay is a narrowed down version of a novel, obviously. So the novel is going to contain a lot of richness and detail that no screenwriter in the world could pack into a hundred, you know, in this case, 90 page screenplay. And all of that stuff informs everything else. Everything Tom chose not to put in the adaptation is going to be meaningful to what is in the adaptation. Right. And I should and I, you know, and a director should should understand that. And I don't mean this in like a starstruck way, but, you know, Tom Hanks, iconic actor, and you've also directed Bill Murray and Robert Duvall. Yeah. Uh, how do you go about directing someone on that level? Uh, not even just name value, but. Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah, well, no, it's always look uh, for me. It's not. You know, I, you know, I feel I, don't, I can't speak for all directors, but I feel some of these things when I work uh, that you're talking about. Um but it's not really based on fandom the way it would be if a member of the public might suddenly be forced to direct Tom Hanks, right? Uh, the celebrity isn't really what um, affects me. What affects me is my understanding and admiration for the work, right? Like Tom's a very easy guy to get to know and to enjoy his company and hang out and work together. So you're immediately comfortable. The celebrity goes away um, pretty quickly. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean his accomplishments as an actor go away, right? So if there's any intimidation, it's it's the sense of knowing, um, it's the sense of, of responsibility that your work, you know, you got a Stradivarius. You know, you're a violin player. You got a Stradivarius. You got to have a certain respect and and um, appreciation for that instrument because without it you can't play your music right and that's that's where that's the challenge for a director not so much the celebrity as the as as their body of work uh now i, I noticed you did you do uh cinematography before you started uh, directing but you don't do it on your own films is there any reason uh, for that no uh you know my first film get low was with my ex-camera operator and 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 I'd known him for a long time and our visual tastes were so much the same and um, and uh, we were so collaborative that anything I felt like I no longer had a hand in as a cinematographer I could still turn to him and say what about this what about that you know wouldn't it be cool if we 
did something warm from the ceiling, you know. Um, and he was the one performing as DP, but the creative conversations were still there. You know, I could I could step into my DP shoes and and have a a conversation with him about the way we were going to light it, and he was game for that. A uh, little different with Shelley uh, Johnson, who I'd never worked with. You know, when you don't have that kind of relationship, you kind of have to respect the cinematographer's domain. On the other hand, you know, you're the director. Um, so um, it's kind of up to you to find, you know, kind of a balance between what you know you want the cinematographer to do and what you want to bring out of him in his own, you know, with his own ideas and inspiration. Um, but I would love to shoot. Um, in fact, I'm convinced I could shoot, you know, uh, I think I could shoot pretty quickly as a director cameraman, um, as fast as Shelley was, and he was smoking fast. I think there's an efficiency in the, um, well, you can imagine, it's like a director editing a film, you know, there's, you don't have to communicate the idea, you can just do it. I think that'd be a lot of fun, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy working with these guys because they brought so much more to the film. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the difference? Because uh, your first movie is mostly, um, there's a lot of di dialogue, Have you seen, this movie is too, but directing like the, a lot of the visuals, the, the actions kind of scenes. Yeah, uh, Get Low was very, it was, it's kind of like an old yellowed folktale, right? Where the pages turn slowly and, and, um, um, it had a kind of a mild way about it, uh, that fit the period in the story. And obviously Greyhound is completely opposite. It's just, you know, Tom designed it to be a 90 minute procedural action adventure survival movie. And it, he wanted it to take off and never stop and sort of emulate the experience itself. Um, and so the, t the movies couldn't be more opposite from a pace standpoint or a visual standpoint. Um, there's certainly no action sequences in, in my first film, Get Low. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, and this is something I think cinematographers kind of learn and know organically that maybe a lot of the other in people in the industry don't appreciate the way cinematographers do is that it's it's you know it's all about the story in other words you know if i need uh, if i need five shots of a submarine going by with guns blaring to tell the story then i just you know i need five shots you know uh of a submarine going by with gunfire to tell that story and you know um but if i've got robert duvall telling sissy spacek in the living room about an old lover that uh, he lost many many years ago uh, you know i just need shots of bobby and sissy it's so uh, i don't i'm I, i'm not being facetious it's just that the story tells you what you need um certainly there's a different craft to action shots right like there's a different craft but theoretically we're all filmmakers we're supposed to have a kind of a knowledge and understanding of the way images work and cut together um and you just shoot the, you just shoot the script and uh, we both said action but i mean the movie has a lot of uh, uh you know drama and uh and it's very tense leading up to the action which i think makes all of that much more powerful sure yeah yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a thriller at times, hopefully. Yeah. 
And uh, actually, one of my favorite parts of the movie is uh, the chef character or the cook character because uh, it's very powerful. And there's something I don't know bizarre. It's the right word, but you know he's really doing his job in the midst of all all this stuff that's going on. All these people getting killed and you know in the middle of war, but he's still there doing his job. It's a movie that celebrates the honor and dignity in doing your job, right? Each one of these guys, the captain included, are a cog in the wheel. Captain may be in command, but he's just one of many. And the whole idea of the movie is to show that these guys are working in concert with each other and that there is there's no one responsibility any more important than the other if this whole thing's gonna come together and work together to defeat the enemy and to protect their own lives, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that includes the guy who's making pancakes to keep the captain fed. And there's a very powerful dignity uh, in that job. Now, historically speaking, um, you know, African-Americans were segregated in the Navy in World War II. Um, but the truth is when the crap hit the fan, and it was time to go to battle stations. Uh, as illustrated in the film, um, those African-Americans uh, put on a helmet and went out and spit lead like the rest of them. Um, and we show that in the film as well. Indeed, that's how, you know, I don't, spoiler alert, anyone who's listening, that's how um, Cleveland ends up getting killed. Um, so that's what's kind of special about that character. He's serving in an unexpected capacity, in an unexpected non-military capacity but he's serving nonetheless. And that's, that's what I love about the role. Yeah. Yeah. It's really powerful. So honestly, one of my favorite parts of, of the movie. And I don't think I've ever seen a movie that dealt with uh, trying to outmaneuver uh, torpedoes before. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, it, it, as it turned, you know, most people, th you know, if you were in a car and a torpedo was in line to intersect you, your natural instinct in a car would be to hit the brakes, right? That's the easiest way to, to keep that from happening. But there's, there are no brakes, uh, and certainly not brakes that'll stop you fast enough. So tactically speaking, when a ship turns into a torpedo, what it's essentially doing from a physics standpoint is it's, it's turning at the face of its hull at the water and letting the water slow the ship. So you, when you make a tight turn like that, there's so much water rushing against your hull, hull with the momentum of your speed that the water itself is slowing you down. So the tactical maneuver in a situation like that was to turn into the torpedo to allow the water to push back on your hull and slow you down. Interesting. I assume that's something uh, obviously in the uh, in the script and the book, but also would be something you, you maybe you did uh, your own uh, study about. Oh yeah. Research. Yeah, and that some of that stuff you can convey. Like I don't know that that's something you'd pick up on if you watched Greyhound. Um. You know, pe most people think, oh, he's just trying to turn and get out of the way, right? Um, and it might not even be kind of uh, instinctual f for people to understand turning into a torpedo is a good thing. Um, so you're, you have to sort of take, you have to sort of understand the physics of it all before you can convey it. And uh I uh, mentioned it's on Apple Apple TV. So how has the last year and everything that's happened in the, the pandemic, how has that changed how you originally were going to have the movie released? Uh, yeah, well, it was originally slated to come out in theaters. Sony was going to give it a, a, you know, a standard theatrical wide release. Um, 
and I forget what the date was. I think it was May. Um, or it was going to be, yeah, I think it was May. And along came the pandemic and everything got put on the shelf. And um, it's the kind of movie that the studios, because it's an adult, you know, adult action drama, it has to be positioned relative to all the big Marvel movies and stuff. You have to strategically place it. And one of the extra strikes against Greyhound is that, yes, you can pick a new date for Greyhound. But if you don't know where the other movies are landing, you can't pick a strategic date for Greyhound. So you're not only up against the delay, you're up against the fact that the landscape of when everything else is coming out is completely, yeah. you know. And after, and after this year, it seems like there's going to be like, you know, dozens of movies that eventually right. come out. I mean, everybody's dealing with that, right? Everybody's saying, depending on where everyone else lands, I need to pick a strategic date. But Greyhound was even more susceptible because it's, you know, it's counter-programming to something like a Marvel movie. Um, so Apple came along, and uh, as we know now, um, you know, the audiences are online. And, you know, we make these movies for audiences. And... Um, we all we all had hoped to see it on a big screen with popcorn in a theater, but at the end of the day, um, what we love to do is share the movie with an audience. And at that time, the audience was online. Yeah. Um, do you think that permanently changes, even if things go back to to as normal as they can be? Does that permanently change uh, the theater experience since people get used to um, seeing uh, big movies at home? It's a good question. I, I think it's I think the answer is yes. And the answer is, I don't know. Um, for example, you know, everybody starts buying more stuff on Amazon.com during a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. It's natural because we don't want to go out to the stores. Uh, so you say, OK, when the pandemic's over, uh, how many people are going to go back to buying their stuff in the stores and how many are going to get used to buying it on Amazon? And they just keep buying things on Amazon instead of going to the stores, right? So the answer is, I think, going to be a little bit of both. There's no question that movies are going to come back and the theaters are going to come back, right? But there's also no question that people's habits have probably changed a little bit, too. Yeah. So I think it's going to be about finding where, where the dust settles and all that. Yeah. yeah. I've mentioned that before on the, on the uh, show is... Because I know a lot of people like myself that that's the main thing I miss is going to the theater and film I yeah. like film festivals. And so there's going to be a lot of people that want to go, but then there's also going to be uh, the reverse of that, a lot of people that will be hesitant to go. So, uh, again, who knows? But Yeah, I, I think uh, I think there's going to be a healthy number of people who want to get out and celebrate the way their lives used to be. Mm -hmm. And that includes going shopping right? instead of buying yeah, stuff on Amazon. Basic things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, but again, there's no question that habits have changed. Mm -hmm. People are creatures of habits. You know, they talk about consumer habits. And, you know, we're going to at the end of this, we're going to have a year, year and a half of what do they say? You, it takes 21 days to start a new habit. Right. And it takes 21 days to kick a habit. And we've had far more than 21 days for people 
to, to change the way they do things. So it's a big question as to how everyone behaves when it's over with. Mm -hmm. you know, so Greyhound is on uh, Apple TV Plus. And uh, as a filmmaker, uh, the rise of the, the streaming sites, how has that affected you? Uh, well, I enjoy uh, I'm a streamer. I love all the content out there. And funny enough, I just bought myself a big, big screen OLED TV right before the pandemic hit. And so I've been enjoying um, uh, with uh, I've been enjoying all the HDR content, you know, this new there's a lot of amazing new things happening with uh, home viewing technology. Uh, and now you've got this filmmaker mode thing coming about where they're going to make the manufacturer is going to make sure there's a button that you can press that shows the video, the, 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 the pro, you know, the movie or the TV show exactly how the filmmaker intended it. And I think I think home viewing from a quality standpoint is only going to get better and better and better. When I first started in TV, oh, man, it was a nightmare, you know, going from a color timing room where you see your television show in pristine condition. And then, you, you know, you go over to your neighbor's house and they're watching it on their 27 inch Trinitron NTSC TV, you know, with the brightness cranked up. Uh, those days are gone and, and home TV viewing is, is getting really good. And so I'm enjoying that. I don't see it as, as something that's killing the movie theaters. I see it as just the way the way to see movies and enjoy them the way they should be enjoyed is is just getting bigger everywhere. Mm -hmm. So um, I mentioned that it's on Apple Plus. Is there a website or, or are you on social media where people could follow you to see what you're up to? I am not. Th thanks for asking, but I am I am not a I am not on social media. I'm one of those non social not not because I'm protesting it. It's just never you're better off. I'll be honest, but yeah. yeah. Never appealed to me. Especially I'm on this. I, I, I'm on this new thing called Clubhouse. Okay. Kind of a fun little app. That's little chat rooms and stuff I've been playing with. But other than that, no Twitter, no Facebook. And are you up? To, are you uh, working on anything? Oh yeah, yeah. Nothing I can. Unfortunately, nothing I can talk about. But all kinds of good stuff going on. I think. I think we're going to be back soon, and we're going to be back strong. I'm convinced of it. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, thanks for your help getting the word out. Appreciate it. I love the movie, honestly, not just because you're here. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a movie. glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. You bet. All my high school friends are off in college now. And I get high and watch TV all day. Living in my mother's basement's really not that bad I got everything I need and I don't pay And I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south since I hit puberty It looks like growing up is just much for me I was doing fine when I was still a kid Swapping baseball cards and playing ball Then came high school classes that I couldn't understand
if I just agree with them But I say not now No, not right now When they say I need to get a life I 